and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. I am here with Chloe Healy. I'm the Marketing Director at Vintage. And Hattie Adam-Smith and I'm the Brand Director at Vintage. So I have called you into my um, recording room basement uh, because I've been getting lots and lots of queries on Instagram from lots of people who are trying to buy uh, books for people at Christmas. And as we know, books are really the only gift that I am ever grateful for getting at Christmas and they're the only really stand-up thing that I like to receive. Um, so I think it's really good that people are asking us these questions. Um, so I thought as you two are my mm-hmm. bookish experts, the elves, Uh, of the vintage shelves Um, I have got some questions for us all to go through and I bet that between us we can come up with some perfect bookish prescriptions yes that sound good we should all be pretty well versed at doing this we should be let's see if we can do the most commonly asked question let's see actually come up with the goods yeah I think we should be good okay so the first one um this is actually quite a frequently asked question about getting books for dads at Christmas but I like this one it had a bit of a slant on it so it says books for dads who were brought up in the 70s and 80s does anybody have any thoughts on that one well, I would definitely recommend Carlo Vainascard's My Struggle cycle of books. So there are six books, um, starting with A Death in the Family. Carlo Vain has just published The End, which is the final part of the cycle. And the books follow um, him growing up in a quite dysfunctional family in Norway in the 70s and 80s. And they're about youth and adolescence and family and rock music and writing. Um, and he's really, really evangelical about his writing. I am too. Um, and I think that it is something that uh, dads yeah, born in the 70s really collectible, like. aren't they, as well? Very I feel like dads really like to collect books. So once you get them hooked in, you could actually be done for another like seven, seven years, years worth yes. of like Christmas if, presents. Hattie, if you want to, can you just start with the end? Or do you think for a dad, the best thing to do is to start at the beginning? You can certainly start with the end. But I would say with these, it is good to go back. The books jump around quite a lot throughout his life. So... Um, yeah, I would say to start at the beginning, but then his writing is so extraordinary that you'll you'll get a lot from it wherever you come into the series. Brilliant. I mean, thinking about books for any type of person of any age, <laughs> Yuval Harari comes up a it's lot. Just a person in a dad's body. <laughs> <laughs> That's all dads are. Why are we so scared to buy them? <laughs> um, but so Yuval Harari, who is the um, writer of Sapiens and Homo Deus, Four million people have already discovered him. I'm sure some of them are dads that were brought up in the 70s and 80s. Um, Odds on. But Sapiens is well known for being the book that shows us where we came from. Homo Deus is where we're going next. But 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which came out this year, so is available in a lovely hardback, which I think is always nice if you're giving someone for Christmas, is um, really answering urgent lessons about the here and now. So it's sort of a bit like a handbook for now. So it's Yuval on some of the big topics of our time Mm. Um, and it's really really great for just dipping in and out of I'd say a kind of post-Christmas dinner dip in and out you can can dip in for a few hours and surface with a fact (laughs) my favourite kind of dad book especially as a dad when you've got kids and you're looking at the future and how to adapt to you know the ever-changing world I think this book would be the perfect perfect read for navigating some of those conversations and issues I always want to I actually buddy read a book with my dad um, what we does read, that um, uh, I just gave it to him and told him that I would be reading it mm-hmm. in the next months and he should too um, and it was Religion for Atheists by Alan de Botton mm. <laughs> uh, because he is religious and I'm not but it was really good to buddy read something with your dad and I yeah. think 21 Lessons would be cool as well yeah. so you've got something more productive to talk about rather than like is Brexit good or bad discuss 
Um, and just avoid the Brexit topic entirely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just talk about something else. Let's talk <laughs> about AI. <laughs> yeah. um, so, a book for a final year nursing student. Well, a I'll nursing ta- student I'll message this one. I think you can do this one, Chloe. Um, and maybe, I don't know if it's a busman's holiday, but I think anyone who is doing the very admirable, brilliant work of um, training to be a nurse, thank you, um, two books that we've published in recent years that I just think are completely vital reads. The first is um, The Language of Kindness by Christy Watson, who was a nurse for 20 years, and I think a completely important, illuminating account of what it's like to work in all parts of the hospital. Um, Really eye-opening and uh, probably, I would suggest, quite a good thing to read if you're... Yeah, like reflecting on the kind of deeper aspect of nursing and not just the kind of practical element. Yeah, I guess I don't, I just, I don't really want, it's, as a voyeur, as a non-nurse, it's an interesting book because it teaches me about nursing. And I guess mm. if you're a final year nursing student, you you understand. So it's kind of like, I suppose it's like hearing from a friend or a colleague yeah, it might about just be their like, This is what I've been trying to say all this yes. time. <laughs> oh, well, actually, I think what I would say is the the response that we've had from nurses and nursing students so far is that it's amazing to have somebody who's actually tried well has very successfully articulated what it is that they do Mm. because nursing students who are working practically already and nurses do the most extraordinary job and it's so varied and it's so beyond cure and treatment and I think they found it really strengthening and amazing to see their work articulated so beautifully and so insightfully by Christy so that would definitely be a a book I would suggest Mm. the other is When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi Mm. who was an American neurosurgeon who unfortunately is no longer with us and this is a book that he wrote as he was diagnosed and dying and then ultimately did die and his widow Lucy finished it off and it's just it's just extraordinary yeah I feel like my life is like before I read that book and after I read that book like they're literally two different things yeah, I so kind of mad. feel like that about language of kindness as well. Mm. Um, just, you know, I would say definitely for a final year nursing student, just but for anybody who has ever come in contact with a nurse to, you know, just get yeah. an appreciation of really what that job involves and what it takes. It just, it was completely eye-opening yeah, for me. because she says, like, you know, we'll, we'll all be nursed and we will all nurse. Mm. <laughs> so this isn't just about nurses anyway. Yeah. Really good. Um, I've got to pull you away. Um, a book with well-written queer characters... Um, for this, I really wanted to pull up The Gloaming oh. by Kirsty Logan. Kirsty is brilliant. Uh, follow her on Twitter if you can. She's an absolute personality and I love her. Uh, and uh, her first book uh, was called The Grace Keepers uh, and I absolutely just absorbed it uh, in one sitting. And so when The Gloaming came out, I literally just kind of stole it from one of my colleagues' <laughs> desks. I was like, that will be mine. Uh, and she depicts like a beautiful love story. Uh, between two women uh, as one of them tries to negotiate joining this very strange island that the other one's been growing up on for this whole time Uh, and the island has I won't give away too much but it has some really like weird magical realism elements to the rules of the island Um, and it's yeah it's really like spooky and strange uh, and the love story in it is like so beautiful and believable and uh, incredibly written Uh, so I really recommend that um this is a really good one. Lesser known books that should be better known. Mm. I feel like everybody's got, yes. literally everybody's got a book for that category. Mm. Does anybody want to go first? I'll go. A book that I love to press into people's hands um, and will definitely be doing so this Christmas is a non-fiction book called Dadland by Keggy Carew. 
and it's the story of her highly unconventional father Tom uh, and her relationship to him so it's family memoir but it's so much more it just sort of bursts at the seams it's just an incredible story of a man who was very unusual and therefore during the second world war all of those character traits that made him such a unique man um, made him perfect as a, a special operations executive so mm. he was plucked out and trained up to become a sort of master saboteur and uh, he became something called a Jebra and he was essentially parachuted into across enemy lines into France to train up the resistance so Whoa. to teach them how to disable mm. trains to and actually you know delay the um, progress progress of Nazis across um, moving across France um, and so successful that he ended up going over to Burma to do the same um, and all those things that made him completely enchanting and successful and br a kind of brilliant war hero made him totally uh, useless, <laughs> not useless, totally unsuited to post-war British life and marriage and um, made him, I guess, a very unusual father figure. So absolutely brilliant and so well loved by his daughter, but I guess... Keggy is also sort of antagonised by him and infuriated by him and um, and I suppose has many of her own character traits like she's brilliant and anti-authoritarian and very creative and you kind of see where her character came from by discovering going on her journey to discover more about him and it's so well done mm. um, and I think yeah that would be my book that I wholeheartedly recommend Amazing. I want a copy now. Oh, Give it to me now. I'll read it and your dad would yeah. love it so much. Can I put that in the other category Yeah, too? you can put it in there. <laughs> yeah. We can insert it back in. And I think it should be better known. Like, it was it was um, nominated for a Costa. Mm. The reviews, like, the things that, pe you know, people fell in love with this book. And I would hope that a film will come. And, you know, I don't think we've heard the last of Keggy. She's an extraordinary woman. And, yeah, I just, I feel like I know her dad. I would have loved the chance to have met him. Um, uh, but, yeah, she's writing the book as he succumbs to dementia. So, you know, as, as he is leaving this life, she wants to, which I guess is a kind of impulse that a lot of people of a certain generation probably experience, wants to capture, wants to discover and get to know the life that he had before mm -hmm. and when she was a child. Yeah, amazing. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one classic that I'd just like to mention, yeah, which yeah. is... Um, a wonderful book by an author um, whose name will probably be very familiar, and that's George Saunders. Um, so it's a short story collection that he wrote in the mid-90s called Civil War Land in Bad Decline. Mm. Um, and I think name. everyone around this table is pretty much rolling their eyes at me because I do not stop <laughs> going on about it. But it's sort of a, a series of short stories that could almost each individually be a Black Mirror episode. And mm. it, it's just wonderful. It's it, Yeah, it's quite unlike anything else he's ever written. Um, and I, I can't really say too much more about it without giving it away, but it's just some of the most beautiful, tender human writing. And it, it's so interesting to kind of think about technology and how he was writing about technology mm. um, as a kind of a backdrop for these incredible human stories. So mm. it's just a slim little paperback and it's got a beautiful new jacket. All right, all right, we'll read it. <laughs> I'm going to take it home at Christmas, I think. I really need to read that one. Um, oh, this is a hard one. Something that feels like the secret history. Oh, does anything feel like the secret history? Nothing, Nothing feels, feels like, like secret history. It's, it's impossible. I wish um, there was something. 
What about the American college setting, which is one of yes. the things that I think of? Well, I thought, when I was thinking about that, I thought maybe the female persuasion, mm. which is the new Meg Willitza. Meg Willitza, our, our Lord and Saviour, uh, has written another book for us, because she's spoiling us. Uh, and the female persuasion uh, is about... Um, the generations of feminism and how they can sometimes clash and the negotiations of feminism as you get older. So it's about a younger college student who finds her first job under this very prolific feminist that her best friend absolutely worships and it's what she compromises to get that job that makes her think, oh, I thought I was a good feminist, maybe I'm a bad feminist. I'm working in a feminist office but I tricked my friend out of her job to get it. Mm. Uh, and uh, she it's kind of like she she works under this woman who's slightly inspirational and amazing but also slightly Miranda Priestly but in a feminist mm-hmm. there we are. I think that's a, so cool there we are we've got we've got a kind of um very um beguiling teacher and an american college setting yeah, yeah i think so, we did it yeah. but i think it's hard to put one book against another isn't it yeah. um and the other thing i guess thinking about christmas is such a gorgeous package i love it's really graphic yeah. um colourful hardback package so a really nice present to give yeah. so that would be a beautiful gift a very common one that I got through on Instagram was people who want to buy books um, for guys who are just beginning to get into reading um, I'm assuming this is because they are loved ones of some point maybe a brother a boyfriend um, a best friend but it's always frustrating sometimes to be like but please and I find the bo- the boys that I know um, read books by other boys yes. mm-hmm. which I'm not always up for so, um, does anybody have any suggestions of what we can think of? I think The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yes, yes it's got to be. For those of you who don't know, uh, how have you got this for your life? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but Margaret Atwood um, wrote The Handmaid's Tale in 1984, and it was published in 85. Mm-hmm. She wrote it in Berlin, obviously before the wall came down, uh, and it was inspired by all the research she was doing around all these horrible ways uh, that women had been treated in the past, and there was always like talks of... Um, kind of second wave feminism and maybe third wave feminism in the future and, and how that was going to progress and whether women had enough and there was lots of talk about putting women back into the home uh, and she was thinking she kind of wrote this book thinking how would you get women back in the home now they're out now they're liberated uh, now they've got contraception uh, how would we get them back in uh, so she wrote this horrific and wonderful book about how that would happen in America and it's absolutely bloody terrifying um, but we're very excited because uh, we've just announced, if you haven't heard already, uh, that oh, Margaret... Your voice is going I up. I know, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs> um, that she's writing another one, um, mm. kind of bringing in all of her observations of the kind of modern climate, let's say, uh, in, mm. in this kind of world we live in now, and so, how that might have affected her thoughts of The Handmaids. And it's called The Testaments, mm-hmm. and we're talking about it now, but we won't publish it until the 10th of September 2019, but I think you, we're going to be talking about it. Constantly. An awful lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, and Margaret has said she's been inspired by every question she's been asked about the inner workings of Gilead since she wrote the book, but also, yeah, the world yeah. around us at the moment. So it would be a good one, I think, if like if the boy you are buying for uh, has um, seen some of the TV show or maybe heard about it and heard how good it is. Mm. Um, so it's kind of piquing his interest that way, getting him to Hamley's Tale and then telling him about the sequel that's happening. Mm. So he's got lots of time to read the first one. Mm. Um, and this new one is going to be set 15 years in the future. Mm. So after the TV show. I think it's also quite short and fast paced, isn't it? And you, you know, you are completely glued to that book from the first page. Mm. So 
you know, if you're really encouraging somebody to read, this is the perfect book because it's hard to get past the first paragraph mm. without just, you know, clearing the rest of your day. Yeah, you know? and then hopefully we will stop having conversations about boys not wanting to read books, books by women. By women. <laughs> <laughs> Gateway drug, that's what we'll call it. Um, so uh, on that note, somebody has been asking for a dystopian feminist book that is not The Handmaid's Tale, presumably because they have read it. So I was thinking about this and I thought maybe The Growing Season by Helen Sedgwick. Oh, um, I don't know if you heard, the, the concept behind it's really cool. So basically she's writing uh, about, a, it's, it's speculative fiction like The Handmaid's Tale, but it's all based on science. It, it could happen um, about... Um, uh, this kind of development in pregnancy science, we'll call it that, um, where you can grow a baby in a pouch in your body and it's all biological, all the biological members are synthetic and it's supposed to stop any kind of um, infancy mortality, any risks of complications and it's, it's supposed to be there to help the women um, like kind of grow a baby and also it's supposed to eradicate... Um, the inequalities in pregnancy by letting the man look after the baby for half of the time mm. and it's supposed to emotionally involve the men in pregnancy and it's this big um, kind of push for this amazing world where women can finally be equal to men uh, but the book starts uh, three generations on from that revelation um, when it's the and we follow like the gr- the granddaughter of the first woman to give, ba- give birth that way uh, and she's having complications and there's lots of stuff around questioning whether they did the right thing whether it's they've really achieved equality and it's spooky and strange and unnerving and comforting at the same time and i thought it was really good okay let's get let's get back from the future and into the present um somebody asked uh, if we could recommend something on modern politics very general well i think if we if we were talking about yeah, it's just wanting to avoid the big B word this Christmas because it would just be really nice to to just sort of switch off from the Brexit world yeah. and just have a nice time. Because um, I think immediately my mind went to Yanis Varoufakis, who we have um, published several books by, and also um, Nick Clegg's How to Stop Brexit. Um, but actually, if we want to move a little bit further away from Britain and Europe... Keep it festive. <laughs> yeah, and look at somebody else's sorrows. And I've been thinking about Ben Rhodes recently a lot because obviously the Michelle Obama memoir has been published. Um, earlier this year, we published The World As It Is, which is a memoir by Ben Rhodes. And Ben was one of the first people... He worked for Barack Obama on the campaign trail. He then uh, was in his core team in the White House began as a scriptwriter, so a very young man in his early 20s, um, squirrelling away in the White House, writing with Barack some of his most powerful and memorable speeches. So he obviously has a real way with words. Um, and then really just progressed um, to be one of his kind of closest advisers. Um, so his memoir of his time in the White House is extraordinary because it's kind of in some ways more insightful you know, he's there and he's he's in the beast and he's on every major, every international trip that Barack took apart from a couple. So he has an absolute front row seat on Barack's time at the White House, particularly with um, international relations in mind. Um, and you just really feel in reading that memoir the what it must have been like in their final year mm. to be trying to put to bed all of the work that they were you know all of everything they were grafting towards to get as much stuff through with you know and the optimism around the fact that they were making a difference 
uh, yeah. and then I guess yeah, the, the slightly sobering the head. yeah the sobering end as as the kind of sand, sands of time fall through and they get closer and closer to the end and then the sort of realizing realization that a lot of that stuff is going to come undone. Um, but it still is a kind of hopeful story and just a very very insightful book about that period in the White House and mm. also just what it's like to work in the White House, mm. which must um, be really strange. <laughs> like that's your workplace every day. Mm. It's like the West Wing, but real life. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, he talks about mice scurrying in the in the roof above them in his office, yeah. which is not what you think of when you think of that building. Yeah. Mad. Books about books, or books where books are mentioned. Mm. <laughs> Meta book. Um, the Strange Library by Murakami is great, especially if um, you're giving it to somebody who doesn't know that much about Murakami. It's a it's a really, really, really short read um, that's completely illustrated. So, like, when you're giving it to somebody, it's this beautiful um, kind of object as well as it, as it being um, a really enjoyable, quite short novella. Um, but it's got this kind of... Um, flap on the front of it that you can't see when you buy it online um but it's it is like one of those old style um library um folders that you stick in the front of a library book and you can slot things in it so it's got this nice tactile feel on the front and inside every page is so meticulously designed Uh, and it's got this really creepy um dark um kind of really engulfing story that I don't want to give too much away about but it's very strange and um, because you're being driven by the prose but you're also being driven by how well everything is drawn you're just like constantly flicking pages Um, so I think it's a really nice one especially because they can probably read it on the day they get it um, and it just looks like such a nice gift piece and then also we're going to talk about Bookworm by Lucy Mangan um, for those of you who live in London, you might read Lucy Mangan's uh, great column in The Stylist uh, every week. Um, but she's written this amazing book. So, yeah, she um, goes through all of the beautiful books she read as a child. Cold Comfort Farm, uh, Anne of Green Gables, Little Women. And especially if Is you the were... the faraway tree in there? Yeah, the faraway tree oh, in there, I think. Um, and it's... Especially if you read loads of classics as a child, but even mm. if you didn't. I don't think I read that many classics as a child. But it was a really nice kind of look into like what I'd missed and like things that I wanted to go back and read again perhaps I'd seen the film adaptation but I hadn't read the book um like uh, A Little Princess yeah it's a lovely like so whether you're being nostalgic with Lucy about these beautiful children's books or you're discovering them for the first time it's a great like um adult guide to the wonder of children's books because again I think it's sad that you stop reading children's books Mm. when you stop being a child Mm. because there is like an art to them and adults write them Mm. (laughs) so they are pretty pretty good yeah. Um, so bring yeah bring back the faraway tree bring yeah. back the faraway tree well I've only just discovered Harry Potter in the last 18 months so I'm a big advocate <laughs> oh, for that welcome. and I'm going to pick up a copy of Bookworm <laughs> what house are you? oh Gryffindor obviously oh, okay. You have to know. You have to know. Lots of requests for graphic novels. Um, They're kind of like a safe bet because even if somebody isn't a big reader, everybody likes getting a graphic novel and they look really great giving because they usually look quite big and impressive to give. They're like, look at this huge present I have for you. Yes. Yeah, we have... um, We uh, we obviously publish a huge range of very beautiful graphic novels, but there's one uh, in particular which I think is a perfect gift this Christmas. Um, It's called Cassandra Dark. Um, by Posey Simmons and Posey Simmons is um, a wonderful she's actually MBE I recently learned Ooh. so um, she is a cartoonist that has been long associated with The Guardian um, so you if you look at her artwork and you read The Guardian you'll you'll definitely recognise that and I love this quote for the Times where they describe it as Scrooge reimagined for the 21st century London 
Um, and I love that. So Cassandra Dock is um, an art dealer. She lives in a huge West London house in Chelsea. Um, and she sounds really like an old curmudgeon and a bit of a misery gut. So um, we won't give too much away. It is a bit of a mystery, a bit of a thriller. It's very, very warm. Um, and also, it, you know, it does bring a bit of a tear to the eye. It is just the perfect graphic novel. You'll read it in an afternoon. Um, can't recommend it enough. And, and actually, you know, from our point of view, it is selling a huge number of copies People for really, a graphic really novel. Like yeah, it. so people love it. So uh, I would say try and try and get that one if, if you're yeah, buying a graphic are novel. Keen on Cassandra, yeah. and of course the gigantic beard that was evil, which is yes, a long-standing classic in the you vintage uh, department. So yeah, female Scrooge. We've been waiting for it yes. for a long time. It's finally here. Um, Dark humour was something that a lot of people wanted. Do we have anything on that front? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to talk about My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Atessa Moshfeg. Mm. Um, this is one of my favourite books of 2018. Um, it's out in a paperback. It's got a gorgeous cover. Um, it's sort of a Sleeping Beauty set in New York um, at the uh, just around the millennium. And it's about um, a young... Uh, socialite who um, is kind of grieving the loss of her parents and uh, she decides that she's just going to take a year off and she's going to sleep for a year so she finds the world's either most wonderful or most terrible psychiatrist uh, depending on how you look at it who <laughs> prescribes her with a huge range of um, sedatives to help knock her out and it's this wickedly dark funny book about this girl who's just had enough of the world and her terrible or again lovely best friend depending on how you look at it and their kind of visits and their conversations um and it's about the art world it's about new york it's it's about the um the turn of the century um but atessa is just so witty and you know you do get to points where you're just like crying with laughter and you're like should i be crying with laughter or should i just be crying um but it's wonderful and i've i've given copies to so many people and they've all just absolutely adored it so i would recommend that i put it on your own christmas list if you're yeah. not buying it for someone else buy two yeah why not it's christmas um, and then the last one on the list, which I thought was a really cool request, it's not one that we get very often, um, books about famous photographers. Mm. We have two. Oh, we have yes. two. Spoiled. Um, the first is, excitingly, we've just published, is a new, well, it's a, it's by a photographer rather mm. than about, but you can let me have that one. Um, it's The Landscape by Don McCullen. Mm. So Don McCullen is our most sort of celebrated sort of veteran war photographer. I actually, I, I love his photos of um, post-war Finsbury Park mm. when he first, you know, got a camera. Um, but then he reported from some of the biggest um, uh, wars of the 20th century. And really it's like his photography is synonymous with war photography. But now he is... Um, I guess he must be in his 80s now and he's retired to Somerset and he's turned his lens to the landscape sort of mm. like the Somerset levels and I think he's really concerned with he's really obviously gets his camera out when the sky the clouds come in and the sky darkens and so he's got the book is full of the most amazing photos of Somerset kind of ravaged by storms these really dramatic skies and you can't help but see a kind of interplay between his war photography and how he treats a landscape um so that's a really beautiful coffee table book and then actually firmly to brief we have an amazing book that's about a, a famous photographer um and that's fashion climbing by bill cunningham um and uh bill cunningham is no longer with us but people may remember his name 
from an incredible documentary that came out a few years ago, um, Bill Cunningham, New York. He was the New York Times um, street style photographer who spent his life um, on the corners of Manhattan snapping interesting heels, hems, bags, hats and putting together an amazing column each week which basically showed the kind of fashion movement of mm. Manhattan and picked up on all these idiosyncratic things happening around the place. Um, so Anna Wintour said we all get dressed for Bill, very much kind of beloved in the global fashion scene. There are these amazing photos of the kind of um, front row and Bill's there or that wall of paparazzi that you would get outside the front row and then Bill there in his kind of starched blue um, French mechanic um, overall jacket. Um, and I think one of the things that's amazing about that documentary is that he is quite a hidden figure. He doesn't really open up. Um, he's almost like a monk, you know, that he's he's committed to fashion and photography and, and, and you, he doesn't really let you in. And after he passed away, this book was found, the manuscript, the type pages, was found in a hat box. And it's his a memoir of his early life from childhood and arriving in New York and it's kind of got a sort of naive breakfast at Tiffany's feel it's just a really fabulous slice of New York life um, and it's his early career as a milliner making hats for everybody um, and then it sort of ends with him making the step into journalism so it's a gorgeous like slice of his early life and a fantastic fantastic memoir how and fitting it was it was found in a hat box yeah, as no, well. It's <laughs> and it's a beautiful book, isn't it? It's a yeah, gorgeous yeah, hardback. Yeah. Like yeah. it would be a really lovely gift. It's a great photo yeah. of him being very much it's a bill, but not as you mm. as a very young man, and he's kind of hiding behind a palm tree looking at one of his creations on a model's head. Yeah, it's great. Brilliant. I think that's given everybody enough to be going on with for now. Um, I've definitely added some to my Christmas list already, so that's good. Um, thank you so much for sending in your questions. If you follow us at Vintage Books, we're going to be answering more queries over there on the story. So if you have more requests in the coming weeks for Christmas, do let us know. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Hattie. Thank you. For thank your you, amazing bookish knowledge. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, don't forget to subscribe to hear more episodes like this one. And until next time. Mm -hmm.